Our reading today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Uh, We will read in just a few moments from the Common English Bible translation. Let us pray together. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. A rich man said to Jesus, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? If you want to enter eternal life, Jesus answered him, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked Jesus in reply. Jesus answered the man again, saying, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, the ones you've probably already known about. I've kept these, said the man, asking again, what do I still lack? Or as another translation says, what am I still missing? Jesus spoke to the man a third time and said, if you want to be complete, go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. The scriptures say, when the young man heard this, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus then turned to his disciples and said, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then who can be saved? The disciples asked in return. Jesus looked at them and said, it is impossible for human beings, but all things are possible for God. Peter said, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? When everything is made new, Jesus answered him, you will have a place with me in the kingdom of God and all who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or lands because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Both Peter and the rich man spoke of eternal life as though it were something to possess, as a reward for that which had been achieved. Jesus, on the other hand, speaks of eternal life as something we enter into, not that which we have earned, but an inheritance that we are given, far surpassing any treasures of this life. It is worth mentioning then for our purposes today just a few things concerning inheritance. An inheritance is that which is received because of those with whom we belong. And it is passed from one to another at the time of death. An inheritance consists of whatever is left over after the debts of the one who has died have been paid. An inheritance is assigned to and shared by the recipients who are designated to receive it, however many there may be. And unless otherwise stated, an inheritance is given that it may be received without delay. 
Even now, our life with God by faith is not the result of deeds that we have done as though earned. It is rather an inheritance that we are given, a gift that is not of ourselves. And it is given that we may enter the way of life that Christ has shown to us. For at the time of the death of Jesus, that which was left over after all of the debts had been satisfied was nothing less than the power of resurrection, an abundance sufficient to give life to all who place their trust in the gracious care and love of God. And because the tomb is empty still and ever shall be, God in Christ has made it known that we may all receive the divine inheritance of grace. It was the inheritance of grace that was so disturbing, even to Jonah, that God would not look down upon Jonah's enemies, the people of Nineveh, but rather see their lives as precious and deserving of dignity and redemption and worth. That is why Jonah complained to the Lord, saying, I knew that you would do this, for you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. It was God's invitation for Jonah to go and do likewise, allowing the grace of God to soften Jonah's heart and turn his bitterness toward the people into love and empathy. Jonah's calling from God was to encourage the people of Nineveh to change their hearts and lives. But let us understand from the prophet's story that it was Jonah who also needed to change in order for him to see the world from a new perspective and even if only for a moment from the vantage point of the divine. It was also the inheritance of grace that Paul sought to articulate in his letter to the Philippians when he encouraged the community to live together in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, to allow the love of God to come alive in their life together so that they could begin to experience the fullness and breadth of God's faithfulness and promises. This is in part what Paul means when he says that for me, To live is Christ, for our lives by faith are bound together in the life of Jesus. And such is the inheritance of grace that God in Christ has given to us in order that our lives and our life together would become a participation in the ongoing work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is alive in each of us, making all things new. We bear in mind our participation in Christ as we consider today's reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And in doing so, we begin to see that it's no coincidence how a conversation about wealth and inheritance in chapter 19 sets the scene for a parable about work and wages in chapter 20. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. 
Again, around noon, and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Did I not agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Do I not have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Many studies of this parable concentrate on the disappointment of the workers hired first who were not only paid last, but were also given the same wage as the workers who were hired at the end of the day, a day's pay for a day's work. The owner of the vineyard, of course, responds to their grumbling by reminding the early workers that they were paid in accordance with the terms they had agreed to, nothing more, but also nothing less. Furthermore, the parable ends with the owner asking two questions. Do I not have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? Important to mention is that the two questions at the end of the parable are never answered, not by Jesus or by any of the characters within the story. Instead, they linger there, inviting us to ponder them further. It is no surprise that the priorities of interpretation often highlight the equity of the wages received, and there is certainly nothing wrong with this, but doing so can overlook some pretty important details. For starters, by focusing all of our attention on the workers who are disgruntled and their reasons for being so, we ignore the opportunity to engage the parable from other points of view. Relatedly, By putting ourselves only in the shoes of the workers who complain about their pay, we risk legitimating their grievance with the landowner. But we do not have to choose sides so very quickly, if at all. Even if we do agree with the grumbling workers who expected to receive more, and even if we would have responded in the exact same way under similar circumstances, The fact remains that the early workers are not the only characters in the story, nor are their opinions about what is right 
the only opinions worth considering. Shifting things around just a little bit, let's ask ourselves, why are the disgruntled workers only concerned about the people who showed up at the end of the day? What about the people who arrived later in the morning? What about the people who came at noon? Or consider this, we have no way of knowing just how many people arrived at any given time. What if the early workers were just a few people and the people who came at the end of the day were a really big group? Let's say the owner of the vineyard was just so grateful for the contributions of those at the end of the day that he wanted to express gratitude. Or to make things even more complicated, we don't even know for sure if the early workers are doing their part. All that we know is that the early workers see the others not as co-workers, but as latecomers. But then again, that's just one perspective. Returning to the parable, it's pretty clear that the workers who arrived later in the day seem pretty willing to get to work. And in fact, when the owner asks them why they've been standing around all day, they answer very directly, because no one hired us. Or to put it differently, perhaps, we've been waiting for someone to hire us. It isn't easy waiting for work, especially if no one wants to hire you. And the early workers who complain about their wages at the end of the day do not seem too concerned to consider how hard it might have been for the others who were waiting for someone to give them a chance. Which brings us to the owner of the vineyard, a rather peculiar character in the story. Now one might presume that the owner was pretty selective, taking the time to do all of the hiring by himself. But that doesn't seem to be the case at all. Instead, the owner of the vineyard spends the day searching high and low to find anyone and everyone who is not otherwise engaged. This, this owner is hiring people no one else wants to hire. This owner is hiring anyone who is interested. This owner is putting to work everyone that he can find, everyone who is willing to go, everyone who is willing to be sent. And the owner pays each one the same. That is, not according to their work, but according to their willingness. Not in keeping with expectations, but in keeping with the owner's own standards of what is right and fair and just. And the owner does so not be just because he cares about the people, but also because he cares about the vineyard. Did you notice that the owner of the vineyard does not welcome people into the vineyard? No, he finds them and he hires them and then he sends them. Go into the vineyard. Go into the vineyard. For the grumbling workers, this parable is about the equity of wages. But for the owner of the vineyard and the workers who arrive later in the day, it is very much a story about participation. After all, it's not just the wages that belong to the owner, but also the vineyard as well. 
By shifting our focus away from the equity of the wages, we can begin to turn our attention more deeply to the equity of participation. Because at the end of the day, this parable is less about the work that is done and the wages that are earned, and more about the generosity of the invitation and the gift of being occupied for service in the kingdom of God. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that God is the one who enables us both to want and to actually live out God's good purposes. We do not live by our own energies, nor do we live for our own ends. Instead, by grace, our service is a participation in the ongoing service of Jesus. Our ministry is a participation in the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Our tears are a participation in the cries of Jesus in the garden before his death. Our sacrifices are a participation in the sacrifice of God. Our weakness is a participation in the power of the cross. Our emptiness is a participation in the promise of the empty tomb. Our love is a participation in the life of the divine, in the nature and character of the triune God. It is by nurturing love within us that the love of God within us has given definition, becoming embodied in our day-to-day lives as it was revealed to be in the life of Jesus. And we pray for love to become embodied in us, not only in big and significant ways, but in all of the many seemingly small, ordinary moments throughout the day, wherein if we are willing the love that is in us can move in ways that transform not only our lives, but also the world. And not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Not because of what we have done, but because of the one to whom we belong. Not because we are called, but because of the one who is sending us. Not because of anything that we possess, but because of an inheritance that the Holy Spirit is destining us to receive according to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, given for all who place their trust in the gracious care and love of God. And far from being a delayed inheritance, it is the very life and presence of God that Christ bestows upon the church. It is the very life and presence of God whose love is active and at work here and now, redeeming the world. Thus, the promise has been given to us at our baptism. Now, now, through God's grace and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, you have been brought into the covenant. Therefore, live Yet not you alone, but Christ live in you, and the life which you live now. Live by faith in the Son of God, who loved you and gave his life for you. God in Christ is sending us 
in order that our lives might become a witness to an inheritance that will not pass away, a gift that is ours not to possess but to share, a way of life that is ours not to earn but to enter into. Therefore, go into the vineyard that you may participate in the generous and life-giving purposes of God. In the name of Jesus and by the, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just today, not just now, but world without end. Amen.